Well, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Uh, Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. If you are using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 944, on page 944. Romans chapter 8. I'll begin reading in verse 18 for context. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of a son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So as we have been spending week after week in Romans chapter 8, walking verse by verse, As a quick reminder, Romans chapter 8 begins with no condemnation, and Romans 8 ends with no separation. Derek Thomas said these words concerning Romans 8. Romans 8 is a description of the Christian life from death to life, from justification to glorification, from trial and suffering to the peace and the tranquility of the new heaven and the new earth. In short, Romans 8 gives us a picture of salvation in its completeness. Now, today our focus is only three verses. But these three verses are absolutely essential in understanding the full picture of salvation from start to finish. So look with me at Romans 8, again, verse 28. And we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So Romans 8 reveals to us exactly how the gospel of God brings us all the way home. In the year 1591, Puritan theologian William Perkins wrote a book based on Romans 8 in which he called the golden chain. This is what the title of today's sermon is, the golden chain. And there are five links in this golden chain that will be our focus this morning that come to us 
from Romans 8, 28 through 30. The first link is foreknowledge. The second link is predestination. The third link is calling. The fourth link is justification. And the fifth link is glorification. Now, Paul does not cover every single link of salvation in these three verses. However, he does provide for us God's grand work in saving us as well as his eternal purpose for salvation. Why does God save filthy, wretched sinners? These verses are a great study within the doctrine of soteriology, the study of salvation. And maybe this morning you're listening and you don't think that these verses are actually that important. Or that perhaps there are too many arguments that exist and arise on some of these golden links. Let's just ignore them. Let's just remember that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But just remember, everything that God has breathed, He has breathed for you to know. Everything that we have written in His Holy Word is for you and I to cherish and to memorize and to take to heart and to love, because it reveals to us things about himself, things about his creation, and things about which we are to live. Also, our final judgment on what we believe about God and what we believe about salvation is not what we think. What we believe about God and what we believe about salvation is what God's Word says. That is to be our final say. I want to fast forward just for a brief second in Romans, to Romans 11, beginning in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. These verses are a good foundation for us to keep in mind as we dive into this study of God's promise to his children and the doctrine of soteriology. So let's go to God's word for what we are to believe without personal presuppositions. Romans 8, verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul is not coming to those in Rome saying, I am uncertain of your future. Praise God. Paul is not writing to them as they are going through hard and difficult times, saying, I have no idea what's going to happen to you. Paul is certain that the Lord will take care of them. That God the Father sent God the Son as payment for sin, and when the Son ascended into heaven, the Son sent the Holy Spirit. And both the Spirit and the Son are interceding for the church. What God starts, He will always finish. He brings His children all the way home. Listen to the words of John Piper concerning 8.28. If you live inside this massive promise of Romans 8.28, your life is more solid and stable than Mount Everest. He says, nothing can blow you over when you're inside the walls of 8.28. 
outside of Romans 8.28, all is confusion, all is anxiety and fear and uncertainty. Once you walk through the door of love into the massive, unshakable structure of Romans 8.28, everything changes. There comes into your life stability and depth and freedom. You simply can't be blown over anymore. The confidence that a sovereign God governs for your good, all the pain and all the pleasure that you will experience is an incomparable refuge and security and hope and power in your life. It is not that just God loves you. God loves you and He is governing everything that is happening for His good and glory and for your good as His child. Romans 8.28 is a promise, but it is not a promise for everyone. It says, and we know that for those who love God. So Romans 8.28 is a promise only for the Christian. The Lord will work all things for good in the life of those who are saved. So the question is, who are those who love God? Only the redeemed. For they are the only ones with faith, and without faith you cannot please or love God at all. Romans 8 teaches us, if you go back to verse 1 and work your way forward to 8.28, Romans 8 teaches us, There are those who are in Christ. There are those whom the Spirit of life has set free. There are those who live according to the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells only in God's children, and only His children love Him. Those in the flesh, they cannot please God. Those who live by the Spirit, but according to the flesh, they will die. So the saved, those who are God's children... They are the only ones who love God. God has taken their heart of stone. He has given them a heart of flesh. He has given them the Spirit of God. And they are now able to please God. Ezekiel 36.26 And when we talk about the word love here, what are we speaking of? There are three words or three kinds of love used in the Bible. The first is eros. It is a romantic love. It is a sexual love. The second is philia, is a friendship love, a brotherly love, a love of warm affection. And then there is agape. Agape love, it is a sacrificial love, a pursuing the other person's good, an unconditional love, a love that expresses the essential nature of the Lord. It's the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the love that they have for one another, the communion that they have together, and the love that they have for their children. The highest expression of agape love is God's love. John 3.16 is a perfect example. For God so agape the world. It is a perfect sacrificial love. The word that Paul uses in 8.28 is the highest form of love that you can have. It is agape. Those who agape God, this is who the promise is for. Galatians 5.6 helps us understand what this looks like for the Christian. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
Ephesians 2 tells us that God gives his children the faith to believe. And in here in Galatians 5, we see that faith works through love. If you go back to Romans 5, just a few pages, to Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, listen to Paul's words concerning justification. Those who are in right standing with God. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Christ we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So for the Christian, God's love has been poured into their hearts through the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 4 tells us, it declares that God's children, they love, they agape love, only because God loved them first. Did you catch that? We love because he loved first. He first loved us. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the promise given in Romans 8, verse 28, is only for those who love God, only God's children. So if you don't believe in God, if you have not repented of your sins and put your faith, hope, and trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, Romans 8, 28 is not a promise for you. It is actually condemnation for you. If you don't love God, you do not belong to God. Therefore, God is not working all things out for your good. God has a special love for his bride. We love because he first loved us. And scripture provides us with possible outward signs that we love God. For example, in Scripture we find if we love Him, we will obey His commands. But we need to be careful that everything we discuss is not outward. Because we can give an appearance to others that we love the Lord. We must not ignore the inward man. Biblical love is an act of the will accompanied by emotions that leads to actions on behalf of its object. Meaning, if we truly love God, our life will prove it because we love Him inwardly. Just because one believes does not mean that they love or that they are saved. Satan believes, he doesn't love, and he is not saved. Just because we go on mission and we give financially does not mean our heart truly loves Jesus. Years ago, John Piper was preaching through Romans, and I believe it took him about eight years. And he was concerned, as many pastors are, 
of those in his congregation giving the appearance of being saved like in the days of Jesus, but actually being whitewashed tombs. Piper gave some words in which he summed up his ministry, words in which he wanted those in the church to think upon. I want to do the same this morning. Some of his words and some of my own. Word one is desiring. Do you in your heart desire God himself or just his gifts? Do you desire God himself or just the gifts from God? What can God give to me? What can, what can God do for me? What are the promises in which I can hold on to? Or do you say, Lord, it is enough just to be yours? Treasuring and prizing. Are you treasuring Jesus Christ for who He is? Is Christ truly your treasure because where your heart is that is where your treasure is where has your heart been beating for this past week desiring treasuring prizing delighting enjoying Christ is Christ your greatest pleasure I was amazed that years and years ago John Piper was once asked a question. He was asked about ESPN. His response is, I don't know what that is. And then he went into a discussion and he said this. He said, some of you in this church, some of you, you could care less about enjoying Christ. You want to go home and you want to sit on the couch and you want to enjoy television. What do you treasure? What are you delighting in? What do you look forward and anxious about enjoying? Is it the Lord? Satisfaction. Are you finding yourself satisfied with Christ or are you finding yourself satisfied in what you can purchase and what you can get? Does Christ bring contentment, savoring, and cherishing? Is Christ your gaze? Is that what you find your mind thinking about the most? Is Christ revering, fearing, and admiring? Is Christ truly the one that you want to inwardly please? Do you fear God or do you fear man? Are you more concerned about what other people think about you, what other people see you doing? Are you more, more concerned about what Christ thinks? Over the last year, I've been more and more convicted that when I get down from the pulpit, I could care less about what anybody else thinks. I want to know, Lord, did I please you? Inwardly, do you want to please the Lord with your life, or are you just flapping your mouth wanting to please man? Because when you die, and you will, you will stand before the Lord, and you will be judged. Do you want to imitate Christ? Do you fear him that much or do you just want to know him? Romans 8:28 We know that for those who love God all things work together for good. Now all means all here, by the way. 
All things work together for good. Our holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, and good God, He can make this promise to His children because He governs all things. He is in control of all things. The God of the Bible, the God of all creation, is not a God who is waiting and wondering, I wonder what will happen. The God of the Bible has legal authority and He supremely rules. God does not react or respond to His creation. He does His perfect will all the time. You and I react and we respond to so many different things. That's not God. He is providentially ruling over all things. He is sovereignly working all things together for His perfect predetermined will. Nothing is outside of the control of God. His creation will reach His divinely determined goal. Listen to what God says about Himself in Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. That's encouraging. That the one who saved you, He's always done what He pleases all the time. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his ways, but Yahweh establishes his steps. Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, in summary, God does as he pleases. God establishes our steps. God works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It doesn't sound like the God of the Bible is a God who winded everything up and stepped back and He wonders what's going to happen. God is involved in every single detail, not just the big, big picture. Another question that we must ask is, what is the good in which Paul is speaking about? Well, Paul, Paul's answer lies in 8.29. The good is being conformed into the image of Christ. So God the Holy Spirit is working in and through His children, making them more conformed, more holy, more into the image of Christ. God's providence is doing this and seeing to this. He saves and He sanctifies. He calls and He conforms. What a great God we serve. The words, all things work together for good, are on, they're on one hand, they are a great comfort, and on another hand, they are hard to swallow at times. Let's just be honest. Because the longer we live in this life as God's children, the more we experience. And sometimes we do not see how things can happen and they can be good. Perhaps you've even said or thought, how in the world does this situation glorify God? How is this for my good as His child? I thought God loved me. You're not alone. We all stumble in many ways. But I want you to keep these truths in mind and that's why these three verses are so important. God created all things, right? Therefore, we are His creation. But God is also all-knowing. 
We have limited knowledge. There are things, not just in this life, that we should be silent about as a part of maturity, but we shouldn't even speak about because we don't have all the facts. God is all-knowing. We do not rush into the presence of God demanding to know everything that we don't need to know. God does not owe you anything. And we do not deserve an explanation. As his adopted child, we come before him with childlike faith. Not childish faith, but with childlike faith. As we march home, we completely trust him and we live for him. We would do well to remember the Lord and the lives of Job and the life of Jonah. We are to trust God because all things work together for good for those who love Him. We don't understand all the things and situations with man. How in the world can we grasp all the things and all the situations with God? God is orchestrating each step and making us holy, and He will not stop doing this because it's His promise. Look at 828. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So those who love God are those who are called according to his purpose. The amazing promise is for those who are called by God. By the way, this is how Paul opened up his letter. You can go back to Romans 1 verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So those called to be saints, we find the same language in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus to our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So those called or called to be saints instructs us that believers are the called ones. Romans 8.28 is a promise but it is only a promise for God's children. The pro- this promise in 828 is a verse where many find comfort in unconditional election. That those called according to his purpose are elected by him. So we who know that we belong to God, that means we having examined the scriptures and examining our lives, We have tasted the beautiful promise of 828, but if we are not saved, we have no foundation and no promise. All things do not work together for good for those who do not belong to God. God's enemies need to turn from their sins and trust in Christ for salvation. This is why we preach and we teach the gospel. We do not stand and say, I'm elect and you're not. No, we stand there and we boldly proclaim the good news of Christ so that people will repent and believe. The purpose of God is good for his people. All right, 829. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So golden chain link one, foreknowledge. Golden chain link one is foreknowledge. That means to know beforehand. To know beforehand is not speaking of man's choice but of God's relational and abrasive will. Let me say it another way. 
God's foreknowledge is not the Lord looking into the future for those who would choose Him. It is not awareness of what will happen. God's foreknowledge is Him knowing and Him loving the individuals He would save before they even existed. To have knowledge beforehand of those whom He elected to salvation. I love the words of Derek Thomas. We find ourselves trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation because God set His love on them in eternity. Our faith is not the ground of God's love. God's love, eternal love, is the ground of our faith. So those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. So you have this golden chain. You're picturing it around your neck right here, and you're following it from link to link. So you have link one, which is foreknowledge. Link two is predestination. That is to predetermine to decide beforehand, to appoint beforehand. God predestined His children to be His children before the foundation of the world. And we look to Ephesians 1 for this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, I love this again, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him based on what we did. No, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. It says, in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the beloved. See, many people have a problem with this, but they're not concerned about God's will, they're concerned about their own. Then you skip forward a few verses, Ephesians 1, verse 11. In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So, the Lord chose us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us to be holy and blameless before Him. He predestined us for adoption as sons through the channel, the singular channel of Jesus Christ. He predestined us according to the purpose of His will. He predestined us to the praise of His glorious grace. He predestined us according to Him who works. This was needed because humanity is totally wicked. So, a brief, quick summary of all this. He chose, He predestined, His will, His praise, His glorious grace, His work. What we don't find in these verses is I, 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 me, me, me. We find He, 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 He. He did it all. The Lord predestined His children to be conformed into the image of His Son. Verse 829, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that this is, this is major here. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So predestination is not even about you. Your salvation is not even about you. It's about Christ and it's for his sake. John MacArthur put it this way. God's supreme purpose for bringing sinners to salvation is to the glory of the Son. 
Jesus Christ, by making him preeminent, is a divine plan of redemption. It is God's intent for Christ to be the firstborn among many brothers. So Christ is preeminent among the children of God. So those who trust in Christ for salvation, they become adopted children. Salvation is not even about you. It's about Christ. Then you get to Romans 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So golden chain link number three is calling. It is calling. Those predestined by God are called by God. This word call is referring in this passage, in this verse, it is an inward call of God. The calling of God upon a soul to salvation is rightly called the effectual call. That is, what God calls forth always occurs. Always. There is never an exception. What God says, come forth and do, will come forth and will do. Let me give you a perfect example. John 11, 43 and 44, Lazarus. Lazarus has died. It was God's sovereign will that the son show up later after he had died for the purpose of Lazarus, for the purpose of all those in attendance. And this is what happened. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. So just at the words, Lazarus, come out, that when God calls a person to himself, it is not an invitation. It is an irresistible call, and better known as I in the word tulip, it is God's irresistible grace. Lazarus had no say in the matter. It was an irresistible call. When God calls, when there is an inward call for a person to come to Christ, it will happen. You cannot resist the God of all creation. R.C. Sproul's words are excellent here. God's grace trumps our resistance and brings to pass what his eternal plan has been and is. So God's sovereignty is no way limited by man. When it is time for salvation, it will occur. Your freedom as a created being is limited by God's sovereignty. Meaning, if God doesn't want you to do something, you will not do it. God has complete freedom to do as He wills with His creation, and this includes you as His creature. Matthew twenty-two fourteen 14 proves this point. For many are called but few are chosen. Now, the word here in this passage, called, is talking about the outward call of the gospel being shared. But the words, few are chosen, refers to the inward call. God's calling is limited to those He chooses, those Christ died for. So whatever the Lord wants to do with you, whatever the Lord wants to do with any group of people or nation as a whole, He will do it, and it will glorify Him. If you haven't read the Old Testament, read the Old Testament as a whole and watch and learn. That's what He does. Just as salvation is not about us, neither is your life. Your life is not about you. 
As Jesus, He taught us how to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we really want God's kingdom to come on this earth, if we really want God's will to be done on this earth, then we'll know His word and we'll obey it. 1 Corinthians 10.31, we, we, use, we love to quote this verse and talk about what we can do. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's not talking about eating. It's not talking about drinking. It's talking about whatever that you do. It's about the glory of God. Do it. Romans 8, verse 30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. So golden chain link four is justification. Now we've already talked about justification for a long time, but justification is whereby God makes that person in right standing with him. God gives you the faith to believe. Your faith grabs hold of the righteousness of Jesus. And when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. It's not your righteousness. It's a righteousness that's outside of you. It's an alien righteousness. God does this. Justification. It's a divine act whereby God makes humans who are sinful, and therefore, because we are sinful, we are worthy of being condemned. He makes them acceptable. He makes them acceptable before a God who is holy and righteous, that God knew and loved his church before they existed before the foundation of the world. And the fact that he did that knowing what would happen is beyond my understanding. If you and I could see down the corridor of time, if I love my wife, if I love my neighbor, if I love my boss because of this, but you could see what's going to happen every step of the way, I'm sure you might stop. God knew every step of the way. He even knew that after he saved you, you would continue to rebel against him. You would claim to be a Christian and not live like it. You would continue to fall short. You would continue to live for yourself, to build your own kingdom. But God, in his goodness and his grace, elected you before the foundation of the world so that you would be holy and blameless. And because of that, he will bring it about. His church is predestined, called, and his church will be justified. You've heard me say, from start to finish, it's all God. But honestly, everything before the starting line is also God. Everything before the foundation of the world, before the starting line was even there, it was all God. And that brings us to golden chain link five, glorification. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, the beautiful thing here that you have to see when you read this is the past tense use of the word glorified. Paul did this on purpose. You're going from, this is what the Lord's going to do. Why are you speaking glorified in the past tense? Because it reveals to us as God's children that it's as good as done. That God saves a soul that he predestined to save before the foundation of the world. And he makes that person more like his son, Jesus Christ. And he brings them to glorification. God's children persevere. 
Your current suffering, your current depression, your current heartache, your current concerns, He will not let you go. He will mature you. He will bring you home. That is not ammunition to just do whatever you want to do. That's your ammunition to praise the Lord that He's still doing it. This is so encouraging. Once the Lord saves, our future, for future glorification, our future with Christ is so certain that it is as though it has already happened. Therefore, what do we really have to fear? This golden chain is a, supposed to be a symbol of a golden chain of safety around your neck around your soul, an amazing chain of God's perfect and eternal love that if we are saved, God will bring us home. Not because we're going to do it, but because he's already done it. We dare not ignore this chain. We dare not take it off. And we dare not forget these glorious truths found in these three verses. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. That means what God has done in us, he, he has done it. And this happened because of Christ Jesus. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So who we are today, who we will be in the future, our upcoming glorification, it is all a work of God. So within this golden chain, we need to cherish Christ and we need to worship Him. There is nothing in this golden chain, any of the links at all, that are around our neck in which we can say and look at and say, look at what I did. It should cause us to humbly come before the Lord and praise Him for He has done it all. We are passive when it comes to this golden chain. This chain was linked together piece by piece by piece. Just as the Lord spoke creation into being, our salvation, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, it was all done by the Lord. Years ago, a pastor, a pastor told a story of a man who was sharing his salvation story. And he was an elderly man. He was coming toward the end of his life. And he shared a story about how the Lord saved him. And a young man came up to him afterward and said, I really loved and appreciated the story that you shared. However, why didn't you share anything that you did? The elder gentleman thought for a little bit. He says, you're right. I should have shared what I did. I did everything that I could do. I was running the opposite direction. Salvation is all of God. It is all of God. And if we are His, this truth should and will bring humility 
in our lives. It will bring praise in our lives. It will bring comfort to us as His children who fall short every day. It will bring encouragement to us that Christ has done it all. It will bring adoration to us because we will want to praise Him. It will bring worship to our lives that we want to talk about Christ. We want to worship Christ. We want to tell others about Christ. It will bring about obedience that we notice the commands of God and the promises of God and we love His promises and we do His commands. This is what it brings to God's children. And so if you're here today and you're unsure of your salvation, if you're convicted of your sin, or if you're certain that you're not saved, Do not use predestination or the sovereignty of God as an excuse. You have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Call on Christ and be saved. As Jesus began His earthly ministry, He commanded souls to repent and believe. It was a command. Mark 1, verse 15, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That there is a way for each soul to be saved. And that is to come through the door of Christ. Where Jesus said, He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we go to Christ. We call on Christ. We admit, we agree with God. I am a sinner. I am separated from God. I need salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Christ, save me. We call on Christ. We are not saying that the words that we say save us. We're not saying that we're saved by a prayer. We're not saying because I do this thing outwardly, if you truly believe it, you will follow Him for His children know His voice and they follow Him. They will cherish His Word. They will love His Word. They will love their commands. They will hate their sin. And they will live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Not because they're trying to earn something, but because they have been born again. So let us, with this golden chain, cherish it and worship the God of all creation, for what He has done. There is not a link in which we can say, I did that. In fact, God put the chain on you. You couldn't even put it on yourself. Christ has done it all. Father, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for Your holy Word, Your Word that sanctifies us. You have said that we're not to live on bread alone, but on every word that has come out of your mouth. We can't pick and choose anything. We are to cherish it and love it all. Even desiring your word, that's a gift from you. Wanting to know more about you, that is a gift from you. Father, for those, Lord, that are are wrestling with this, those who are convicted by this, would you save those that are lost? What can I do? What can man do? Lord, you must draw them to yourself. Lord, for some of us, we have been treasuring the things of this world. Our mind, our affections are for things that will one day rust 
and will one day be destroyed and will one day be owned by somebody else. May our treasure be you. As you have painted in your holy word that we would go and sell everything to go and buy a field because we have found treasure in it. Father, may you truly be all that we desire and hope for. May you be our greatest treasure, our greatest pursuit in this life so that in this life here and now we would praise your glorious name. We would point others to where they can find relief, where they can find hope, where they can find forgiveness of their sin in Christ. Father, we as your children know that you work all things together for good for those who love you, who you have called according to your purpose. Father, help us to rest on the fact of who you are, not resting and questioning on the fact, Lord, is this for our good? It is. It is for our good. You are working it all for our good for those who love you, whom you have called to yourself. May we not focus on our current and present sufferings in this world, but focus on you and glory and what is to come as if it has already happened. Lord, how good you are. Thank you for that reminder in your holy word that you have preserved for us to know and to treasure so that we can look to you and treasure you. It's in Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen.